Bismillah, alhamdulillah, ashadu an la ilaha illallah, wa ashadu anna muhammadan rasulullah, assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. And a late Juma Mubarak to you, brothers and sisters. In the name of Allah, to whom all praise is due, I testify that there is no God but Him, and that Muhammad is His messenger. May His peace, mercy, and blessings be upon all of you. My name is Elijah. And I've been a convert to Islam for about two months, maybe two and a half months at this point. Uh, I am a Texan, and my family has been in Texas for at least the last hundred years, alhamdulillah. Uh, I am also a four-year veteran of the U.S. Army, where I was a paratrooper. I was in for almost four years. And my religious upbringing was as a Southern Baptist Protestant, and my first Bible was a King James Version. So that's the old English version of the Bible. Uh, and I'm making this presentation because since I've converted, I've seen there's plenty of material out there, right? There's a plethora of it on why the Quran is a miracle and why its contents are miraculous. Uh, and may Allah reward all the people who are doing that stuff. It's all great work. But I personally have not found anything which I felt is to the point, you know, straightforward. It's most importantly, verified with sources uh, in the description. Every single claim that I make in this video, in the description, there will be a link to some sort of educational website or maybe a government um, notice or something uh, which verifies every single claim that I'm making. And, and it's just brief. It's just something I can send people that's like, here, this is why Islam is the truth. End of story, right? Basically, so I've created this presentation, inshallah, to show in simple, straightforward terms and with the appropriate sources, once again, how I know that the Quran is a revelation from God. And it's just, it's basically a three-step process. We talk about the messenger, peace be upon him. We'll talk about the Quran, and then we'll talk about some of the miracles with him. So first up, let's talk about the, the messenger, right? The Prophet Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Uh, Peace be upon him, right? So he lived from 570 to 630 AD, and he's from Mecca, Arabia. So something about this situation, right? So in the West, we know that this time period, right, around 600 AD, Western Europe was going through something we call the Dark Ages or something, right? So the Western Roman Empire had been, had fallen, I believe in 476 AD was when Rome itself was sacked. So Western Europe was in a state of disrepair. However, this was not true for the Eastern Roman Empire based in Constantinople, nor was it true for the Persian Empire. Um, and I don't think China was in a difficult situation right now either. But don't quote me on that particular example, right? And to give you some context, right? So the people in this time period, to them, what a this the measurement of a wealthy person right in these successful parts of the world back then would have been someone who had right like say a lot of gold right a lot of jewels they had you know maybe i don't know what kind of jewels they had back then but gold silver they had silk clothing maybe they had the emperors and stuff they would have like elephants and other exotic animals brought in from you know the various corners of the world or they would have tons of books and they have plenty of stuff to read. They'd have bookshelves, right? All this stuff, right? 
that's what they thought was a wealthy person. For context, in Mecca, in Arabia, during the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, the measurement, like when we, when people describe people as being wealthy back then in that part of the world, it was like he owns like a ton of camels, right? He has just a whole bunch of camels, right? And for them, that was a lot. But when you compare it, right, in this part of the world, like there was no sciences. These people don't have access to the sciences. These uh, They didn't have any universities. They didn't have any uh, observatories, right? So there was no big scholarship, no, no, nothing, no one trying to discover the truth of the world around here, right? Outside of maybe some, some meditative uh, sect type people. But obviously over there in the empires, there was, right? So it's key to know that the people in the time of the prophet, peace be upon him, and where he was, and in that time period, this was not an educated literate society they did not have access to the sciences and like most people in his time the prophet peace be upon him he was illiterate and he was uneducated and this is not in dispute by anyone because even the people who have negative things to say about islam they spend all their time criticizing islam they will use the fact that he was illiterate as a point against us but i will show in this presentation obviously why that is actually a point in his favor and our favor peace be upon him Right. And of course, I have a link in the description talking about his biography and you can look into it yourself if you'd like. Second of all, the Quran. Right. So this is what I'm trying to prove is a revelation from God. So the Quran, first thing we should know is that the oldest copies are from the 600s and the 700s. So the oldest manuscript, so a fragment, the oldest uh, fragmentary manuscript of the Quran is the Birmingham manuscript. And this is dated to some point between 4, 548 and 645 AD. So that's within the lifetime of the Prophet, peace be upon him. And of course, it matches the Quran we have today. The oldest nearly complete manuscript. So it is over 99% of the Quran. It's 23 verses missing out of 6,236. So it's, it's a complete Quran, basically. Is the Topkaki manuscript, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, which is from somewhere in the early or mid 700s, right? So basically like a century after the death of the prophet, peace be upon him, very recent after for this full manuscript. So even if you say, well, I don't believe you that it's been preserved since the prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Well, the oldest full one we have is from this early or mid 700s. So the Quran is at least that old, which is sufficient for our purposes at the very least. Uh, secondly, uh, the Quran was revealed out of order. And what do I mean by that? So when you open the Quran, you'll see it has surahs. And surahs translate roughly to, some people say chapter, but realistically a chapter is usually a uniform length. Um, whereas a surah, the longest one is 286 verses and the shortest one is three, right? So really they're sections. So when I say surah, think section, right? The first surah of the Quran revealed was surah 96. Surah 1, when you open it up, that was the fifth surah revealed. And the last part of the Quran revealed was the third verse of surah 5, right? And this happened a lot. It would either be a surah revealed or be a few verses of surah. It would be even one surah sometime, or Sorry, excuse me. One verse or a handful of verses would be revealed at one time. 
And this is over the course of 23 years. So the way it was revealed is not the way it is currently organized. And third off, uh, big parts of the Quran, if not all, arguably, uh, were revealed to the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, from the angel Gabriel, alayhi salam, uh, due to from unforeseen circumstances. What do I mean by that? So, for example, the surah of the Prophet Joseph, peace be upon him, it's the whole story of his story, like what happened when he, you know his brothers sold him to slavery in Egypt and how he brought his family into Egypt. Christians and Jews should be familiar with this story. In the time of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, there were a group of Jews who were heckling him, right? They were bothering him. And they were saying, hey, if you're really a prophet of God, then tell us a story of the prophet Joseph, peace be upon him. And something you should know with this is that during that time period, this wasn't really like widespread knowledge because the, com the dominant religion of Arabia at that time was a form of paganism, right? And there were Jews in the area, but just like Jews today, right, they keep their religion close to their chest, right? They don't go out trying to spread their beliefs, right? They they keep things hidden and they don't they don't proselytize, right? But on the spot, like during being heckled, he looked and he got a revelation from the angel Gabriel, peace be upon him. And he told the entire story of the prophet Joseph on the spot. And the Jews there were absolutely amazed. They had nothing to say to this, right? So that, that's the, that's your context, right? So the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, illiterate from an illiterate, uneducated part of the world. And the Quran is at least in 700 AD, but I'll show you it's from earlier than that. And then it was revealed out of order and it was revealed to unforeseen circumstances, right? And if you uh, don't agree or you challenge any of these claims, you can go ahead, you can go into the links and you can look into the stuff and then come back once you verify this information. So I have five miracles that I actually want to show, right? In this first one, talk, it, it's proof that, in my opinion, it's proof that the Quran we have is the Quran since the Prophet Muhammad is upon him. So right. So here's something we should know, or at least that it's preserved, right? So as I might have said before, the Quran has 114 surahs or sections, right? Uh, each of which is composed of verses. If you add all surah numbers to their corresponding verse uh, amount of verses. So, for example, surah one has seven verses. One plus seven is eight. Surah two. Now let me move the camera down so you can see it. Yeah, that way when I get lower, everyone will be able to see it. All right, that should be good. Surah 2 has 286 verses, so our total is 288. Surah 3 has 200 verses, so our total is 203. You, so with these calculations, right, so 1 is 8, 2 is 288, 3 is 203, right? You get exactly 57 even totals, and you get exactly 57 odd totals, right? So what happens when you add all of these totals together, right? So if you add... 1 plus 7 is 8, 2 plus 26 is 28, uh, Surah 114 down here I know has 6 verses, so the total is 120. If you add the totals of these 57 calculations all together, you get 6,200 
and 36. Now, you might have caught this number earlier. Ink's running low. You might have caught this number earlier because 6,236 is also the number of verses in the whole Quran, right? And if you add our 57 odd totals, right? So 3 to 203, uh, Surah 108 has three verses. That's 111. If you add these 57 calculations totals, you get 6,555. 6,555 is the total if you added all the numbers of the surahs together. So 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 plus 5 plus 6 plus 7, all the way up to 114. If you added all of those together, this is what you would get, 655. And it's also the total of these 57 calculations of the odd total surahs, right? So if you were to remove or add a verse anywhere, or if you were to remove or add a surah anywhere in this chart, this entire system would fall apart. So let's just take surah one. Surah one is small, right? So it has eight verses. Let's say surah one now has uh, nine verses, right? So the first thing that would happen is it would no longer be even. So it would be over here and we would go from having 56 even and sorry, 57 even, 57 odd to 56 even and 58 odd. So our even odd balance falls apart. The total number of verses would become 6,237. And the total of these 57, 56 even calculations would be subtracted by nine. So the total would be 6,228. So it, it just wouldn't match anymore. And of course, this, the total of the, um, all the surahs combining would still be 655. However, you've added nine to this side of the board. So 6,555 plus nine is 6,564, even though the total between all the surahs combining is 6,555. And of course, if you added or um, subtracted a single surah, it would also mess up the 655 and then switch over it, it everything would break by adding even one verse or subtracting one verse anywhere in this chart or adding or subtracting one surah anywhere in this chart i just added one verse every single part of this mathematical balance collapsed immediately so if our quran was off by even one aspect of this the whole thing would fall apart now i'm asking you were people who could not read or write except for maybe one or two or three out of thousands in the middle of Arabia in the 600s? Did they come up with this? And I also ask you, can you find any other religious text that looks like this? You cannot. So this is, to me, this is already clear divine intervention. I'm going to get my eraser. To me, this is already enough. To me, this is there's no other religious text that has any sort of pattern resembling this. But I have four more miracles, just in case you're not convinced.
The second one is about water. So we have two verses of the Quran concerning this one. So we have, I think it's Quran 2130 and 2445. All right. And everyone should know this, right? This is pretty common knowledge in the public schools, at least these days. Is that all living things on earth, obviously plants, and then animals, and even people, even humans, right? All creatures are made of water. I believe human beings, I believe our bodies are somewhere around 70% water by volume. And here's what the Quran says. The Quran says, Do the disbelievers not realize that the heavens and earth were once one mass, and then we split them apart? Now, I've seen some commentators say that this is actually referring to the Big Bang. But that is definitely beyond the scope of this conversation. And we created from water every living thing. Will they not then believe? It says every single living thing is created from water. Uh, but the Quran doesn't say this once. It says this twice, right? So the Quran 24, 45. And Allah has created from water every living creature. Some of them crawl on their bellies. Some walk on two legs. And some walk on four. Allah creates whatever he wills. Surely Allah is most capable of everything. Now, to my knowledge, the only way that you can know that every single living thing is made of water is if you have a microscope and you look down to the cellular level, right? Because there's no way. If you remember in, in school, probably in elementary school, the first time a teacher, maybe your your relative, adult relative, told you, yeah, living things are made out of water, and you went, I feel pretty solid, right? Uh, because the fact that we're all made of water is not readily apparent, right? You couldn't possibly know that. So again, unless the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and the people who were with him had microscopes we don't know about in the, the 600s in Arabia, uh, how could they know this? Unless it was divine intervention. All right. That was pretty straightforward. The next one is about bees. Specifically, uh, the female bees. And we have Quran 1668. And 1669. And I will read these both as a single passage. And your Lord inspired the bees. Make your homes in the mountains, the trees, and in what people construct. And feed from the flower of any fruit you please, and follow the ways your Lord has made easy for you. From their bellies comes forth liquid of varying colors, in which there is healing for people. Surely, and this is a sign for those to reflect. Just as an aside, we do know now that as this verse of the Quran states that honey has healing properties, people use it for medicinal purposes. But that's actually not the miracle that I'm focusing on, right? So something else. Um, per So that everyone knows at this point, I believe, that honeybees, so the bees that go out 
the worker bees that go out and they collect honey and they come back and they construct the hive and they do all the work in the hive are female. The male bees are drones. They kind of just sit around at home all day and they eat and they take up space, right? But the workers are, are female. This was first discovered in 1637 by Richard Remnant. He was an English nobleman who wrote a paper I put in the description. Uh, it's it's in Old English, but it's you could you could probably still read it. Um, and he was he's the first one to say that worker bees are female. Before he wrote his 1637 paper, everyone in the world thought uh, the worker bees were male. And another common belief is that the leader of the hive, the queen, was actually a king. So they believe that hives were ruled by kings and the workers were male until Richard Remnant proved otherwise. However, let me show you something. So in Arabic, words are gendered. Nouns are gendered, right? And the things you use to describe those nouns are also gendered. If you're, if you're from Texas or you're from like a border state, you're probably familiar with this in Spanish. So I'm looking at a chair right now, right? Chair in Spanish is silla, right? So silla is female. It means uh, chair, right? The chair is in the feminine. So if I was to talk about this chair in Spanish, right? Everything that I say would have to be uh, in the feminine form. Otherwise, if a Spanish speaker was here, they would look at me like I'm crazy, right? It doesn't make sense. It sounds crazy if you speak about it in a way that is in the improper gender. So it's the same. So in Arabic, here's a few words from this passage. So we have the word eat, if you remember the passage. We have follow the ways. And we have its bellies or bellies. Now, I don't speak Arabic, but I'm going to pronounce these as best as I can. So cool is the transliteration, right? So this is Arabic for eat in the male. Cooly is this is the female version of the same word. Eat male, eat female, right? Follow the ways we have. Let's look for male and slooky for female. And then we have butanihim uh, for male, for bellies. And then we have butaniha. Uh, if you speak Arabic, I don't care how bad I'm pronouncing it. For female, right? So what we find in the Quran is that in all three of these cases, in these two passages, when it's describing the bees who go out and they collect the honey and they go to the to the flowers of the fruits and then they build the hives, they do these constructions, right? Every single way it describes them, it uses the female. Now, here's my question. Is there some way that the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, a thousand plus years before uh, these, these extremely wealthy scientists, noblemen in Europe discovered that honeybees are females? Is there some way that he could have known that? Did he have the time or the energy or did anyone have the time to to work on this and see that 
uh, worker bees are female. Like, no, nobody knew this. The whole world thought they were male for a thousand years. But here in the Quran, it describes them, the worker bees, as female. And how did they know this without divine intervention? It's impossible. They could not have known this. Just like with the water example. So that one's pretty straightforward. Now, before we move on, I need to explain temperature systems. So in America, we use what? We use Fahrenheit. Uh, the rest of the world and some scientists here in America use Celsius. Because they coordinate with other countries. And then we have a third system that a lot of people don't know about called Kelvin. Right. Uh, so Fahrenheit, Celsius, and Kelvin. Now, zero Celsius is what? Zero Celsius is the freezing point of water. Right. Zero Fahrenheit. There's a myth that zero Fahrenheit is the freezing point of salt water. This is actually not true. Zero Fahrenheit is completely arbitrary. Right. But Kelvin, so Kelvin is interesting, right? The temperature system of Kelvin, if you didn't know, right, there is, right, the people who study this sort of thing have found out that there is actually a lowest possible temperature that anything in the entire universe can become, right? Kelvin zero is this temperature. It's the lowest possible temperature that the universe could possibly produce. So the way God made the universe, Kelvin, its baseline is the, the bottom of the temperature scale that he made in the universe. So, all right, so Kelvin is zero is lowest possible temp. Right, so just remember this. So, you know, Fahrenheit is zero is arbitrary. Celsius is the freezing of water at zero. Kelvin is zero. Kelvin is based on the way God made the universe because the baseline of Kelvin, the zero of Kelvin, is the lowest possible temperature in the entire universe. So it is based on his creation, right? So Kelvin is not arbitrary. Remember that. So in the Quran, we have this surah called iron. This surah 57. Surah 57. Iron. And in the surah called iron, surah iron, we have verse 25, right? Verse 25 in Surah Iron is actually the only time in this entire Surah that mentions iron. Uh, but as we'll come to see, the naming is very apt. Right? So I'm going to read this verse to you. Indeed, we sent our messengers with clear proofs 
and with them we sent down the scripture and the balance of justice, so that people may administer justice. And we sent down iron with its great might, benefits for humanity, and means for a law to prove who is willing to stand up for him and his messengers without seeing him. Surely a law is all powerful, all mighty, right? There's a few things about this. So this surah uh, is in the middle of the Quran, right? So if you take the number of surahs in the Quran, which is 114, and you divide them by 2, you get 57, right? So in the middle of the Quran, iron 57, it, this, this is the name, right? So it's in the middle. You should also know that Earth's core is made up of an iron-nickel alloy. So iron is in the middle of the crown, and then iron is in the middle of the Earth, right? How deep in the middle of the Earth? Iron, the iron inner core, the inner core is 5,100 kilometers approximately, approximately deep, right? And the iron in this core starts to boil at 5,100 Kelvin is the boiling of this iron. Now, I put a chart in the description that numbers each and every Quranic verse, right? This verse 5725, which mentions iron, which its surah is in the middle of the Quran, is exactly the 5,000th, 100th verse of the Quran. This is the 5,100th verse of the Quran in the middle, and the iron core, which it is named after, is 5,100 kilometers deep, and it melts at 5,100 Kelvin, or it boils at 5,100 Kelvin. Right. But that's actually not all that there is to this one verse. Right. So let me clear this up. So if you don't know about protons, let's, let's talk about atoms. Right. So everything is made of atoms. Right. So in my fingernail right here, I think there's probably I mean, billions or maybe trillions of atoms in that. Right. And atoms are made up of protons, electrons, and neutrons. So protons define the element. So if you remember in school, looking at the periodic table, right? All the elements that the whole universe is made up of. So we have hydrogen, we have helium, we have iron, right? Uh, they have a number, I believe it's in the top left, and that number is the number of protons that it has, right? It's, this, it's the number we identify it by. So, for example, hydrogen has exactly one proton. If an atom has one proton, it is hydrogen. Likewise, iron has uh, 26 protons. If an atom has 26 protons, that atom is iron. Electrons... Define charge. So while protons are positively charged particles, right? The positively charged 
components of an atom, electrons are negatively charged. So if the number of electrons matches the number of protons in an atom, that atom is said to be neutrally charged, right? If the number of electrons in an atom exceeds the number of protons, it is negatively charged, right? Because electrons are negative, protons are positive. There's more negative than positive. It's a negatively charged atom. The inverse, right? If there's fewer electrons than protons, then it's a positively charged atom because there's more positive than negative. And then finally, neutrons define isotope. So an isotope, an isotope is a version of an atom with a different number of neutrons. Yeah, right. So that's it's pretty straightforward. But that matters because um, it's all stays iron, but it, it's it's a functionally different form of iron or it's a functionally different form of that atom. So, for example, um, we have like iron. Let's, let's say we'll go with hydrogen. So hydrogen, hi, hydrogen three would be hydrogen that has two neutrons, right? Because hydrogen always has one proton. And to get the isotope, to figure out what the isotope is, you add the number of neutrons to the number of protons. So hydrogen three has one proton. It always does. And it has two neutrons. Hydrogen four has three neutrons. Hydrogen five has four neutrons and on and on and on and on and on. This defines the isotope, right? So if you remember our verse, right? It was 5725, right? Now, iron has 26 protons by definition. An atom with 26 protons is iron, right? Now, we can say, oh, man, look. Look how close it is, right? It's one number off. But in the Quran, in and this is how we know, in 113 of the 114 surahs, there is an extra introductory portion, which is not a verse, but it is part of the surah. It's a portion of the surah. It's just not a verse. It says, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. It's an intro, right? So counting from the intro, which is part of this surah, it 57, surah 57 has one. This is actually in the 26th part of the surah. In the 26th part of the surah. And iron has 26 protons. So even that lines up, right? So we've gone over a lot of it so far, but there's actually there's actually one more thing to this verse. So we talked about isotopes, right? And there are four naturally occurring, which means they appear in nature, isotopes of iron. They are 54, 56, 57, and 58. All right. So these four are stable isotopes. So what is a stable isotope? 
A stable isotope is an atom, or it's a type of that atom, right? So we have iron, let's say iron 56, right? If you leave iron 56 alone in a room and you don't mess with it, it will never stop being iron. And that's something people are thinking, what, what do you mean? Of course it won't, it's, it is what it is, right? But actually we have unstable isotopes. Or radioactive is also what they're called, right? So what that means is a, an unstable or radioactive, radioactive isotope, right? Uh, if you leave it alone, even if you leave, even if we don't do anything to it, we just let it sit there, it will actually decay and it will turn into a different uh, element. It will turn into a different type of atom. And as it's turning into this other type of atom, it lets off radiation, right? So we use like uranium in our nuclear power plants, right? What's actually happening with that uranium is that the uranium atoms, the isotopes, the type of uranium that we're using, right? It has a corresponding number to it. It is unstable by its structure, by its com whatever combination of protons, neutrons, electrons that it has, it breaks down and it degrades into a different kind of element. And the energy that it lets off as it's degrading is how we power the, the nuclear power plants, right? So we have four stable isotopes of iron. So like, for example, iron 55, which is not here, it's in between 54 and 56, unstable. It's radioactive, right? But these are the four that if we just leave them alone, they will continue to be iron. Nothing will happen to them. Or so we thought. So according to a study from the University of Novi Sad in Yugoslavia in 1998, with a certainty of 68%, iron 54 is only observationally stable, right? So what does observationally stable mean? Observationally stable means it is radioactive but it is only radioactive on an extremely long time scale. So if God, you know, he, he lets uh, the universe go on like forever until all the stars die and everything, he said he wouldn't, but if he just lets that happen, right? He just goes on and on and on. Eventually all of the iron 54 will break down and turn into other stuff, right? So we will only have three types of iron in that circumstance, right? These three, iron 56, Iron 57 and Iron 58, these are the only three truly stable uh, types of iron, isotopes of iron, right? So you'll notice that we have 56, we have 58, and in the middle of these three, in the middle, we have 57. Iron 57 is in the middle of our list. Just like Iron 57, the Sura is in the middle of the Quran. Just like the iron uh, nickel alloy is in the middle of the earth, 5,100 kilometers deep, 5,100 Kelvin starts to boil, just like our uh, the number of our verse, right? And that verse is in the 26th portion of that surah. How did every single one of these things, every single one, all of them match up? How did they match up? Did, how do you even, I don't even know how you measure how deep the earth is, right? Do you think they knew back then? that all this stuff and they, they set it up and they coordinated it so that we would see this. No, they couldn't have possibly known this. It is the most obvious divine intervention I've ever seen, right? They didn't know what Kelvin was. They didn't know what isotopes were. They didn't know what protons were. Right. So yeah, like 
this is this is the most obvious divine intervention that I've ever seen. Um, but that's actually not the last miracle that I want to show you. So we're going to talk about the sun. Uh, and just remember what Kelvin is, right? Kelvin is based on the temperature system that God, uh, you know, zero is the lowest temperature he set for the universe. So it's based on his creation, right? So the sun, right? The first time the sun is mentioned in the Quran is 2258. So first mentioned. Two, and the last time it is mentioned is ninety one nine. Now, something to get out of the way here if you go online and you look up a translation of the Quran and you look for the word sun. A lot of the English translations will say that 2187 of the Quran is the first time that the sun, they'll say, it'll say sunset in that verse. If you look it up in English, this is not malicious on the part of the translator. They're doing the best they can to translate it to English, right? Because not everything translates exactly the same. But the word for sun in Arabic is first in 2258. Uh, it's just that the way... 2187 is phrased they say sunset to simplify it for the english-speaking reader so i put in a literal word-for-word -word arabic to english translation of that surah in the description you can read it and you can see that no actually the first time sun is mentioned is in 2 258 right so 2 258 and 91.9 so this verse here 2 258 is the 265th verse right of the quran 91.9 is the 6,044th verse of the Quran. Now, the number of verses between these two, and how do you calculate the number of things between two numbers, right? So, let's say we have 10 and we have 5, right? So, 10 minus 5 equals 5. But this is not the number of numbers between 10 and 5. The numbers between 10 and 5 are 9, 8, seven and six so to find the numbers uh between two numbers you do you subtract them and then you do minus one and it gets it gets four so there are four numbers between ten between ten and five right the number of verses between 6,044 and 265 is exactly 5,778. Now, 5,778 Kelvin is exactly, exactly the average surface temperature in Kelvin of the sun of our sun this is the average surface temperature and it's the number of verses between the first and last time the sun is mentioned in the quran did what did they did they set that up did they know did they have their telescopes and their inter you know their thermometers that worked across space their infrared uh 
measuring devices? No, absolutely not. This is the most obvious. The Quran is the most obvious thing from God that I have ever seen in my life. It is literally, it's a book of miracles that we've been sent as a mercy from our Lord. That's just what it is, right? So I'll end on this note. I, if, if you want to follow God, right, the first thing you need to do is to take this brain that he gave you, right? We're all in agreement that we were created, right? You'd be arrogant to suggest otherwise, right? You take this brain that he gave you, which is more powerful than any computer or any supercomputer, any government or any other institution on earth has ever been able to create. That's your brain. It's more powerful than any of that. Take it, what he gifted you with, and use it and think logically. And if you think logically and you look at it, the answer is obvious, right? It, it's plain for everyone to see. And if you have you have thought logically and you have reached that conclusion, then there's really only one thing you need to do is you just need to say, you know, you need to believe and say there is one God and Muhammad, right? Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, the guy who brought this message, right? The Quran, that he is one of his messengers. And that's it. And you'll be on the truth at that point. Yeah. Um, and for people who are nervous about like, oh, I don't want to be, I don't want to give up my culture. I don't want to give up, you know, my traditions, my family, all of this stuff. You don't have to do any of that, right? I'm not dressed like an Arab, although there's nothing wrong dressed like an Arab, right? Um, Adam, peace be upon him, who is all of our, all of mankind's forefather, right? We all come from him. Peace be upon him. He was a Muslim. So Islam is the inheritance of every single person on earth. It doesn't matter your race, your ethnicity, your nationality. None of that is relevant. All of mankind, God has sent Islam to guide all of mankind as a gift to us and as a mercy to us, despite our failing. So think about what I've said. Um, and yeah, just think logically. All right. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. May the peace, mercy, and blessings of God be upon all of you and have a good one.